May the Lord bless you all very greatly. And I give a greeting to all the brothers and sisters and to all the people who today are joining us on this live channel and those who will watch us later on. A greeting to you all, to all of Latin America, to all of North America, to all of Europe, and those in Africa, brothers and sisters who are in Africa and in Asia, who are in China and Japan, in different islands as well. We have many brothers and sisters groups that congregate, and we also have some people that congregate in Alaska, others that are congregating in Patagonia. And so from the north to south, from the east to west, in all places, God has allowed brothers and sisters to go so that they may seek the Lord and praise him and also to testify to those that are around them. And in this way, this is how we evangelize the work that God has always wanted from the very beginning when he told his apostles that they needed to evangelize and to speak of him in all the world. He said to them, preach in all the world. And so the word of our God, the word of our Lord Jesus Christ is fulfilled. His prophecy, that order has been fulfilled. And so today we are in the presence of our God telling him, telling him, Lord, here I am, send me. And so this is our job. This is the function God has given us to allow us to be those instruments so that many people may know the true gospel and may know the word of truth, that people may be led down the true path toward the Lord. This is what's important. And in these times of trials, times of difficulty and tribulation for many, well, we must consider there are families that live in very remote places, in very small places, maybe apartments, maybe small little studios, very small homes, space-wise. And so we, we do consider these people and we pray to our God that he have mercy and that he quickly cut this epidemic, that God may have mercy of, all, of us all and that God may give another opportunity to the world so that they may know him, that the world may accept him and honor God and accept the existence of him. For God is showing us, showing many, showing science, showing that he is powerful and that when God does something, no one can, no human being as intelligent as they might, they might be or as smart or as involved they, uh, in their investigations, in their labs. No one, no one can ever be equal to God, nor take the power away from God, nor give him more power than he has. But it is the will of God that rules. And so we as human beings before God, we are like any worm or an insect. This is why we must respect and value our God and pray to him for mercy. Ask him that he help us and that he quickly take away this pandemic. This is in God's hands only. And so to all the people that are in those places that are becoming sick, many are becoming schizophrenic. Others have the desire to take their lives. Others are going through depression, are discouraged. Others are getting divorced and separated. There's a lot of abandonment. 
from parents toward their children and mothers with their children, there's a lot of abandonment. And so there's desolation in this moment, sickness, psychological sicknesses. And this is why we must call out to the Lord. And so all the brothers and sisters united in the Lord, let us pray, let us read the Bible, and let us ask the Lord always for this petition that God have mercy of us all and that God may lift this pandemic, this tribulation, that he may remove it and that God have mercy. And to those who are tired and sad and say they can't take this anymore, well, I advise you, read the Bible. Read Psalms, for example. If you are not very, or not, you're not an expert in reading the Bible, well, at least read in Psalms, and there you will find encouraging words and promises of God. You will find words of praise toward the Lord, and there you will also find refreshment to your soul. And ask the Lord in your way with your own words. Say to the Lord and ask Him to have mercy, but do not let yourself be defeated. Do not let yourself be overcome by the situation that you're currently living. Do not lose the battle. Fight. Fight for your happiness. Fight for your peace. Fight for the love and the tranquility of your loved ones. God will be close by and blessing. And so this is advice to those who are not an expert in reading the Bible and those who have not congregated in the church. This is the time. This is the time to remember. Read a psalm or read one of the Gospels in the New Testament and say to God, ask him to help you. Say, Lord, if you exist and if you manifest as they say in that church, well, I want you to help me. I want you to manifest yourself in my life. That is how you can speak to the Lord, but speak to him with your heart. Of course, yes, with much sincerity and that it comes from your heart. And in this way, God will, he will be giving you the answers. He will give you comfort, the comfort you need. The comfort and the support from God is what we need in this moment. And so all of you seated and comfortable, we're now going to sing to the Lord. Before beginning our reflection today, we will be singing a hymn titled, it is Hymn 226 titled Mansion Over the Hilltop mansion over the hilltop which is what we desire to attain one day after death hymn 226 and so we will be singing to honor and glorify our our god i'm satisfied with just a cottage below a little silver and a little gold but in that city where the ransomed will shine i want a gold one that silver lined i've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder we will never more wander but walk the streets that are purest gold though often tempted tormented and tested and like the prophet my pillow a stone and though i find here no permanent dwelling 
I know he'll give me He mentioned my own I've got a mansion Just over the hilltop In that bright land where We'll never grow old And someday yonder We will never more wander but walk the streets that are purest gold Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely I'm not discouraged, I'm heaven bound I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city I want a mansion, a harp and a crown I've got a mansion just over the hilltop In that bright land where we'll never grow old And someday yonder we will never more wander but walk the streets that are purest gold. Blessed and praised is the name of our God. And we thank the Lord. And you can have a seat. You can get comfortable. And today we will also be reading some verses, not many, but we will be reflecting in our Lord, on his word, on his commandments, his promises, we will be analyzing the word of our God. And today we will be discussing the children of God regarding that marvelous title God has given to those who serve him, to those who do his will, to those who believe in him, who love him, who seek him, who trust and who keep his commandments. Those people, men and women, God gave power to, being that power to be the children of God. And so we always mention this phrase, the children of God, God's children. And everyone in the world, they believe those, the millions and the millions that exist in the world, they all say that they're God's children, but that is not so. So today, within what we're going to read, we're going to distinguish and differentiate the children of God, but also what is the duty of the children of God? What is their function? What are their tasks? And what God has entrusted them to do so that they truly are the children of God? What must be done? What are the requirements in being children of God? And so I said that people in the world, we say, they are also God's creation. But when men and women, they convert to the Lord, our God, they believe in him and they keep his commandments. Well, God then says he gives them the title of being his children. And so in the Old Testament, we find the example of a child, a son, who God did so much for and loves him still, even to this day. He loves this son. And we're also, with that son, we're also going to see the other children. And we're going to also include ourselves in the children, for that is our hope. That is our confidence, and that is what we hope for in the Lord. 
So we're going to be discussing this beautiful phrase of the children of God, who they are and what they do and what they ought to do. In Exodus chapter 4, 22, now of course, before Exodus, for example, in Genesis, we're not going to read in Genesis, but I am going to remind you that in Genesis, before the great flood, we find a, re a reading where it tells us that the Lord saw that mankind was sinning, mankind had become corrupt for the devil, he was the one who took charge of corrupting the hearts and the minds of people and he taught them to sin for the devil taught the world to sin from the very beginning he taught them to sin and to disobey god and it says the children of god they were defiling themselves contaminating themselves with the world and the women of the world contaminating themselves with all of the abom abominations and idolatry. And as God saw that the children of God were, their spiritual life was in danger, this is when the Lord decided to send the great flood. And so he did. He sent the floods. But after the flood, people continued to sin. People multiplied again with Noah's family, and they continued sinning in the same sin as before, the same abominations, same filth. The same things that they did before, they did again. They were corrupt in their heart and in their spiritual life because the devil was there. The devil was there. And so, the Lord, when he names Abraham, he finds grace before God and makes a calling to him and to Isaac and to Jacob. First it was Abraham, then Isaac his son, and then follows Jacob, who God also changes Jacob's name and he calls him Israel. You will no longer be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. For just as I allowed Abraham and Isaac, I promise you that I will make of you a great nation. And in all the world there will be people of all the nations who will be seeking God. And so Abraham would be called the father of many nations. And this blessing also, it would be covered upon Isaac and Jacob. So the Lord tells Jacob, you will be called Israel because I will bless you. But the Lord was telling Jacob that he was calling him Israel, but God was looking toward the future. God was now looking for those looking toward those latter days that that Israel, that Jacob who was there in that moment of flesh and blood, God was speaking and referring to the Savior, the King, the Messiah in the future, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, our Lord Jesus Christ was that symbol of that Israel who was Jacob. It was our Lord Jesus Christ. God was speaking about him. Now, of course, Jacob didn't understand. The people of that time didn't understand. But God wanted them to limit themselves to obeying God and all of the steps that needed to be taken. And so just as us today, God gives us orders and we must obey the Lord. Even if we don't understand what will happen in the future, but obeying God is the most important thing. And so, as I was saying before, Jacob was Israel. And Israel, God said that he was his son, that Israel was his son. Of course he was. Israel was his son, or Jacob. He was symbolizing Jesus Christ in the future, the Messiah, the Savior. And this is why it, it occurs that Israel, Jacob, he had 12 children, and one of his ch children, Joseph, was sold, and he was sold to the Egyptians. And at that time, there was hunger on the earth, and he allowed 
Jacob and his family to live in Egypt, for Joseph was there, and he he received them and he protected them, gave them all the things that that was necessary to his father and his his brothers, and they lived there for 430 years. So. Israel or Jacob lived there with his family, all his descendants for 430 years in Egypt. And this is why God, to that nation, he called them his children, all of the descendants of Jacob, who no longer was Jacob, but was Israel. He called them my son, my son, or my children. Now we're going to read Exodus chapter four, verse 22. For today, we are discussing the children of God. We're going to discuss here a son of God. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. I've already told you what this was about and what this was concerning. They were now in Egypt, and God tells Moses, I want you to free the people from Egypt. I want you to free the people from Egypt and take them to the land of Canaan. And Moses said, But Lord, how? How am I going to speak to the king? How? It's impossible to be before the king. And the Lord said, I will help you. Do not worry, but you need to free the nation. And so among all that the Lord told Jacob or Moses to free the people from Egypt because 430 years had passed, God tells him in verse 22, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, the Lord tells Jacob or Israel then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. This was the prophecy that Jacob, that Moses, Moses had to give Pharaoh in Egypt. Israel is my son. So who is Israel? Well, physically, it was Jacob and all his descendants. There was about 600 men without counting women and children. It says... Israel is my son, my firstborn, my firstborn. He was saying, well, who would understand this? Not even Jacob was understanding that he was his firstborn. He didn't understand, but he said, but how? How am I the firstborn? Well, the Lord was speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the firstborn, that was the son, but in that time, physically, he was being represented by Jacob and the people of Israel. Israel, my son, is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Who will understand? But here, it was saying that Moses, Moses needed to leave with the people or with Jacob's descendants because Jacob had died. It had already been 430 years of them living in Egypt. Jacob had died, but his descendants were there. As I said, there were about 600 men without counting women and children. They made up one, which was the son, the firstborn, that Israel that God had mentioned and named physically. And this is why he says, he tells the king, I tell you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you refuse to let him go. Indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. The Lord said through Moses, he told the king of Egypt that if he did not let the people of Israel go, 
that in that moment, God was saying, He is my son. It is my firstborn. And God was looking toward the future, and it was our Lord Jesus Christ, because He is that spiritual Israel, that nation. It's our Lord Jesus Christ and His church, because our Lord Jesus Christ as the head and the church as His body, He is that spiritual Israel. And He is who the Lord referred to from that time that still thousands of years needed to pass before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the prophetic and very metaphoric way in which the Lord is speaking here to Pharaoh by the mouth of Moses. Moses, he only fulfilled and obeyed God's order. And he went to the king and spoke and said, God has said that you should let his son go, his firstborn. That if you do not let him go, you do not let the nation, the people go, God will take the life of your son, your firstborn, he told the king. Well, all of this came to pass, so I'm going to leave you here so that you can go ahead and read Exodus. You can read Exodus is a beautiful book. You can con continue reading to see what happened with the story because, well, we can't, st we can't stop here because we're only focusing again on just on the children of God and that son, his firstborn, Israel. Now we're going to move on over to Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah, which is somewhat in the middle, a little bit over the, uh, the middle of the Bible. Isaiah, you'll find Psalms, then very close to that is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60. So we'll be reading in Isaiah chapter 60. I'll give you about a minute to search, less than a minute. Isaiah 60, 40. I'm sorry, verse 4. Isaiah 60, verse 4. We're going to read regarding the duty or the function of the children of God. And who are those children of God? And to, who does, to whom does God give that title? Now, let us realize in the verse we already read, Moses obeyed God's order in giving that prophecy. And the traits of the children of God, it is to obey God. That's one of the traits, to obey God to hear God and obey Him. In Isaiah 60, verse 4 says, now this here is a prophecy from Isaiah the prophet, and he is prophesying for the future, which is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a title in some uh, Bibles, which is the future glory of Zion, which is the future glory of the church and how that's, it would be splendorous, that church, full of power and full of marvels from God. And so much would be the greatness that he would give to his church, and he's already giving it to his church. And it says here, verse 1, Arise, shine. Who? Well, this is the church. For your light has come. What light? It is Jesus Christ. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That glory is the manifestation of God upon the church. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. 
So that means there will be no darkness. Upon you, what will exist is light. Light shining upon the church, shining upon the believers, those who follow the Lord, men and women who believe and who praise God. The Lord, it says, will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. That's his manifestation, the manifestation of the Spirit of God among men and women. And it says, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising, the rising of the church. And he tells the church, he tells the church, church, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Now those sons, who are they? They are the believers. And your daughter shall be nursed at your side. So he says, church, lift up your eyes all around and see. Look at those coming from afar. Your children are coming, your sons, your daughters. And his tabernacle, his spiritual building, made up of people of many nations. This is why your children will come from afar. And your daughter shall be nursed at your side because men and women of different nations who convert to the true God will become those sons and daughters of God. And all united in one heart will be the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And these people don't need to come from those countries. If they're in Africa or in Japan or China, they don't need to come from there and go to a specific place. Because here on earth, physically, there is no specific place. It is spiritual. The place is spiritual. God dwelling, and he will dwell in the hearts of his sons and daughters. Dwelling in the hearts of his sons and daughters in Africa, his sons and daughters in Europe, those who he has in Russia and Japan, in Singapore and Philippines, his sons and daughters that are on, in the islands in Australia, New Zealand, and many other islands. I'm forgetting the names at this moment, but the hearts of his sons and daughters that are there praising and glorifying the Lord, seeking him and following the gospel. They are those who will join in spirit for the Lord manifests himself to them as he manifests himself to us because God is power. He fills and covers all of the universe. And so from that, the Lord forms his church, and so all, all will praise and glorify the Lord. And so there is no need to move. Here in this figure, this metaphor, it says that they shall come. So it says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you, yes, speaking metaphorically so that human beings could understand. But this is the mystery of our God, his church, made up of hearts the hearts of his sons and daughters who serve him and do God's will. This is what is beautiful. And here, along the way, we're also reading about the duties and responsibilities of these sons and daughters, which is to praise God, glorify the Lord, honor him, sing to him, trust in him, wait in him. It's that. Let's continue speaking about the children of God. Matthew 5. We're going to see what Matthew says. Matthew 5. 
very quickly we will search for the verse and it's verse number nine now this is the sermon regarding the beatitudes where our lord jesus christ was teaching the disciples and the people that were listening at the moment he was teaching them concerning the kingdom of heaven preaching his pure gospel and teaching people men and women to do god's will and he speaks of the beatitudes but if here if we say blessed are the poor in spirit these poor in spirit they are the children of god the sons and daughters who must have a poor spirit or in other words a humble spirit this is not speaking of physical or of physical financial uh, poverty it's speaking of the heart so poor blessed are the poor in spirit and the children of god they need to be poor in spirit meaning be humble and lowly and he tells them you are my son I give you the title of son because you are lowly and humble. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. For why? Because the sons and daughters of God will mourn. They will suffer. They will suffer for others. They will mourn for others. And they will be comforted. And they shall give comfort, comfort to those who suffer. That is what the sons and daughters of God do. That is the function and the work of my children. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So my sons and daughters must be meek. And as they are meek, I give them the title of children. And meek is a person who is humble, who is also lowly, is benevolent, kind, patient, who is not easily irritated, holds no grudges in their heart, who does not harm anyone, it is a person who accepts the things of God, loves the things of God, has patience, waits in God, trusts in God. This is a person that is meek, someone that is meek. So the Lord says, as this person is meek, as he or she is meek, I will give them the title of my children, my sons and daughters. He is my son. He is my daughter. They are very humble. They are very lowly. They are a peacemaker. They are peaceful. They are not easily irritated and not aggressive, nor, does they, nor do they want to harm anyone. They are obedient and they do my will. They keep my commandments. How meek is this one? So meek. He is my son, meek. He obeys me. He submits himself to my will and loves me. Loves me because, well, the opposite of someone that is meek is someone that is unbelieving, rebellious, arrogant, stubborn, and hard of heart. These are those who are opposite of meek. And so here in verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness my sons and daughters who thirst for righteousness meaning they want the word of god they want the doctrine they want to learn the commandments to put them to practice i will give them the title of my children my sons and daughters for they are doing what is right they are doing what is upright and what i want they are my sons and daughters blessed are the merciful and those pure in heart for they are the children of God who the Lord says and he who is merciful 
He who is pure of heart, in their heart there is no grudge, there is no pride, no arrogance, no criticism. There is no anger, there is no selfish ambition, there is no anger or vengeance. He is so merciful, he is so pure of heart. This is why I give them the title of my son or daughter, and I will bless that son or daughter. This is what the Lord says. This is why these are the duties, the functions of the children of God in order to carry that title of being children of God. Verse 9. This is the one that we were searching for. Verse 9, Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not because what we read before, they, it didn't mean that they weren't sons of God. No, those that are poor in spirit, they are sons of God. Those that mourn, those that are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are all sons of God. Those that are merciful, they are children of God too. And those pure in heart, they are too also sons of God or children of God. Now the peacemakers. Peacemakers, well, it comes from peace. Those who have peace in their heart. Because they searched for it. How? By believing in God, loving Him, keeping His commandments. They have found peace in their soul. They have found peace in their being. And as they have peace, they offer peace to all those who surround them. That, those are the peacemakers, and they shall be called sons of God. And so now we have seen what the duties of the children of God are. You see what we must do, brothers and sisters? The children of God have many, many tasks. They have great ministry to carry out, which is fulfilling God's will. Stop sinning and doing God's will, keeping His commandments. Those are the children of God. And so now, what do you think? Those who thought that everyone that is in the world, they are all children of God. Don't you think that that's not true? There was a mistake, an error in that that way of thinking and so the children of God are different that title he doesn't give just because and people here on earth sometimes with their friends they give a title to somebody but no God does not do that he only does so to those who have merits those who have merits earn the title oh okay you are humble you are lowly you are not ambitious or or greedy you are not a murderer you're not a thief you're not an adulterer you're not a fornicator you're not a liar you're not deceiving no you are my son you are my daughter because you have a pure heart clean hands you have a pure heart this you are my son you are humble and meek, and I give you the title of children of God. I give you the title of son or daughter of God. What an honorable title that God has for those who follow and love him, for those who search and seek his name and keep his word. So let us now read in John. John, the gospel according to John. The gospel according to John, chapter 1. John 1, verse 12. Verse 12. It is the same here. Now, of course, we are supporting the teaching here with this verse as well. Now, we here this discusses the word, the word of life, that the word was with God and the word was God. And it said that John came here to bear witness of that light, which was our Lord Jesus Christ, and that all should believe in him. And that light, it says that the light 
came to give light to the world, but the world rejected it. And in verse 10, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, He was in the world, in spirit, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. And this is true. For in the Old Testament, when we read concerning about the kings and Judges, Chronicles, and Samuel, we read the five books of Moses and the prophets, we find there that the angel of the Lord always worked and appeared before many and did many things, many works, the angel of the Lord. And that angel of the Lord was our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why here in verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Then it says in verse 12, But as many as received him, it says, But as many as received him, we're reading verse 12, To them, so those, again, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So as you can see, the title of children of God, not just any person earns it, not just any person carries that title, not just any person who is sinning and harming people, they cannot say, I am children of God or my father is God. Because if they are doing bad things, they have to say, I am the son of the devil, but not the son of God, because the son of God does the works of God. So if they do bad works, they are the sons of the devil. And here our Lord Jesus Christ said, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right. So to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. And so glory to our God, for we desire... We all desire to be children of God, and I hope the majority, we are children of God. Romans 8. Now we're going to Romans. Romans 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14. Now here, Apostle Paul writes a letter to send and he sent it in that time to the church that was in rome he sent the epistle which is a deep doctrine full of mystery but apostle paul he bared witness that he spent two years in the wilderness and there god revealed all of his doctrine and his word he learned it from god and aside all of Paul's scriptures, we are living today for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has brought all of the scriptures of Paul to life in our life. For all that he taught concerning the Holy Spirit and his manifestation and speaking in tongues and having the gift of prophecy and prophesying the gift of miracles, the gift of healings. All of these spiritual gifts Paul spoke by revelation of God, and today we are enjoying in our congregations. This is why we give credibility to these scriptures. We do not doubt these scriptures, for God makes them a reality in our lives. And so Paul was saying that you needed to live in the Spirit of God or to live in the pure gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and that now the rituals of the law of Moses 
all of the requirements of the law of Moses, that all of that needed to be abandoned for our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God manifesting himself in mankind, it was no longer necessary to fulfill the law of Moses, for it was all spiritual. For now, our Lord Jesus Christ as that king and his spiritual kingdom, with the manifestation in the spiritual sense, all of the physical things were no longer necessary, all of the physical things that they were accustomed in the law of Moses. So this is why in Romans chapter 8, he is teaching that we must live in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is who is manifesting himself in people in the congregations to bear witness that it is the word of God and that we are walking in that true path and he reminds us of the commandments he reminds us of good works of the good things that we must do so that we are able to fulfill all things before the lord and along the way the lord will call us sons and daughters children of god and so this is what this chapter 8 is referring to Apostle Paul was saying we needed to live in the Spirit, to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ is the Spirit of God manifesting himself in the hearts of people. And it says, verse, in verse 14, for as many as are led, but I want, I'm going to start reading from verse 11, or rather 10, and if Christ is in you, meaning in your hearts, the body is dead because of sin. Yes, if Christ or the Spirit of God is in the heart of a human being, this person no longer sins. It says the body is dead because of sin. It only lives because of the righteousness of God. And if the Spirit of God who raised, again, verse 11, but if the Spirit of Him, Jesus Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Christ, who is God Himself, he raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies, those who have converted to the Lord. He also, he brings those mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Because the spirit of God, when he dwells in the hearts of men and women, they begin to live a holy life without sin. And so the Lord says, you are my son, you are my daughter. This is what the Spirit of God does. This is what the true gospel of Jesus Christ does. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the Spirit of God in the hearts of men and women. It says, Therefore, brethren, or if, for if you live, verse 13, according to the flesh, meaning according to the law of Moses, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the body are sin. That is what was practiced with the law of Moses. The law of Moses, it caused people to sin even more. They said that they were keeping the law of Moses, but what they were doing was sinning even more because they were breaking the law always. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, or all of those who are being instructed by the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the Spirit of God manifesting itself among men and women. It says these are the sons of God. Why? Because this is saying that the, if the Spirit of God is in the heart of these men and these women, they no longer sin. Their body is dead to sin, so they no longer sin. 
So these sons of God or children of God, they are no longer practicing sin. They're no longer sinning for the Spirit of God is dwelling in their heart. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in their heart, it does not allow them to sin any longer, for there is no longer the appetite to sin. There is no longer that sinning tendency in their flesh to sin. So this is the difference, the distinction between the sons of God or the children of God. We find here that the children of God do not practice sin because the Spirit of God, when it is in their hearts, does not allow them to sin, for the person no longer feels the desire to sin. How beautiful it is that it is God who does that work and performs that miracle in human beings. But we must believe in the Lord. We must trust in Him. And we must have an open heart for Him and say, Lord, come to me. Come dwell in my heart. Come to my life, Lord. I want to please you. I want to stop sinning. I want to stop being irresponsible. For example, how many men in this time I have found out so many men are abandoning their children, their families, their wives. They're abandoning them. Abandoning them. They don't care about leaving a woman alone with children. They leave them abandoned. They don't care about how they're going to eat or how they're going to survive. And they have the excuse, oh, I am no longer in love. I've run out of love. No, they're thinking of themselves. They're selfish. Men are selfish and women are selfish when they say, I've run out of love and this is why I need to get a divorce. I need to get, I need to separate. What irresponsibility. Those who love God, a person, a man or a woman who loves God and who God comes and dwells in their heart, they will not act this way in abandoning their family. Not him nor her. Neither will abandon their family or their children. But it is a person that is responsible because they love the well-being of others before their own well-being. It's that. There are people who love themselves. And no, we don't need to love ourselves. And everything's for me, I want to be well, everyone else, they can die. No, everyone else, if they're happy, then I'm happy and seeing them happy. And after I find the well-being of everyone else, then I seek my own and God will give it to me. You must have the Spirit of God in your heart in order to be a son or daughter of God. And know that here, the spiritual gifts don't even enter into this because the Lord gives the spiritual gifts to men and women so that they convert, so that they may make decisions and say, okay, I want to follow the path of God. So the Lord gives them the spiritual gifts for a time. But the time then comes in which these people turn back. They begin to sin. They leave the congregation and they forget that they ever had spiritual gifts and they begin to live the world in adultery, fornication, and all sorts of sin. That's how they begin to then live their lives. They forget about God. And do you think these people, when God gave them the spiritual gifts, they said, you are my son, you are my daughter? No. Because I think, and it's not that I think, the Bible tells us that the Lord is looking at the heart. The Lord is observing the heart and the intentions of the heart. And God, out of mercy, gives spiritual gifts to see so that one day they don't say, oh, well, Lord, you never gave me a chance. You never gave me the spiritual gifts. If you would have given me the spiritual gifts, I would have changed. My, I would have been holy. I would have been perfect. But you didn't give me the spiritual gifts. So how? I alone, how could I change? 
the Lord will say, no, you will never have this excuse because I gave you spiritual gifts and the Lord gives the spiritual gifts without any commitments to people. He gives the spiritual gifts without ever saying, okay, now with these spiritual gifts, now you've earned eternal life. No, he says, I've given you spiritual gifts so that you may experience what it means to feel my presence. And then you will need to carry on moving forward, being courageous and making an effort until you reach the, the end, until you reach the end of your life and the goal, fulfilling my commandments and doing my will with a pure heart. And in this way, you will be my son or you will be my daughter. And in this way, you will earn eternal life. And so this title of children of God, do you see this duty that we have that we need to keep? We have duties, functions as children of God and to reach the goal, to reach the end. And so verse 14, it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And to be led, it doesn't mean, okay, do things this way or that way. Led, it means that the Spirit of God is now in our hearts, dwelling with us. And He is the one guiding our spiritual life. He's guiding our senses. Okay, you know, I don't feel the need to harm anyone, to hurt anyone. I feel mercy. I want to do what is right, do what is good. I feel I ought to respect this person, love them. I feel I need to make this person happy who is close to me. This is what a man or a woman does or feels when they are children of God and God is dwelling in their hearts. Let's continue in Philippians. Philippians, which is after Corinthians, and there's a series of small books, Galatians and Ephesians. And then after Ephesians, you'll find Philippians. Philippians 2.15. Philippians 2.15. Now, Philippians is also written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And he also tells them to bear a good testimony, to be light, to be a good example to all men and women of that city, that they should shine as a good light with that testimony that they have. They should not murmur or sin to walk without any stain. And in verse 15 or 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now, complaining and disputing, it is a person who is not agreeing, someone who is never conformed with anything. They're never happy about anything. They don't accept anything. Everything is bad. And so he says, do everything without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. So that, again, here it says, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so it says here that the testimony of the children of God, they need to be light in the world to shine because the world is full of perversity and crookedness and evil. And we must be the children of God. Now let us go to first of John. As we can observe here, to be first, or to be children of God, we must abandon sin. Abandon the sins that are seen and those that are not seen. Here, these sins that you cannot see and that they can lie in the heart, this is why the Lord speaks of a pure heart. 
So those are also the very dangerous sins that people, they make a mistake and they say, well, I don't get drunk. I don't commit adultery or fornication. I don't steal from anyone. I don't do this. I don't get drunk. I don't do this. I don't kill. That's what they say. So I'm well, I'm perfect. But they haven't examined their heart that is full of greed, of, of envy, of covetousness, of pride, vanity, vainglory, full of that full of vengeance, anger, they're irresponsible, disorganized, not interested in family and keeping their responsibilities with their family. Those are those very serious hidden sins in the heart. And the heart is not clean. So you see, we must cleanse ourselves to be children of God. Do you want to be children of God? I think so. So how many of you want to be children of God, sons and daughters? I think you all desire that, to be children of God. First John, the first epistle of John, not in the gospel of John. It's the first epistle of John. John chapter 3. First epistle of John chapter 3. Now, this is the same John who was with our Lord Jesus Christ. He was also the one who wrote the gospel according to John. But these are his particular epistles that he wrote to the churches. And he says in chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. So it says, God, in his infinite love, in his great love, he has given us the title to be children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him, God. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, of course. Now, what we should, shall be, it will be after death. That perfect glory that God speaks so much about. But in the meantime, in this world, with the title of children of God, this is more than enough. And, well, it demands and requires many things. But we know that when he is revealed, when our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So this is the hope that one day we will see the Lord face to face. And everyone who has this hope in him, meaning Christ, purifies himself just as Jesus Christ is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin, meaning in our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever abides in him... In our Lord does not sin. So again, whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, abiding in the Lord does not mean, oh, I believe in God. Yes, I go to church and I'm in church every day. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. I believe in God. But it turns out, what is the state of your heart? What is in your heart? Is your heart clean? Is God dwelling in your heart? And so it says, if God abides in your heart and your heart is pure, then you can say you are a son of God. And it says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Of course not. They don't sin because there is no longer a tendency. There's no longer an appetite for it. For example, a doctor who maybe prescribes someone that is sick a medication and that medication has taken away their appetite and they don't want to eat. I don't want to eat. I don't have the desire to eat. I don't have an appetite. And they force them to eat. But he says, but I don't have an appetite. I don't have an appetite to eat. 
It's like that. That's how sin is. The Lord, when the Lord is dwelling in the heart, abiding in the hearts of men and women, the appetite to sin goes away. They see it. They observe. They see those that are committing adultery, uh, those who are fornicating, those who are, are stealing, those that are lying, those that are deceiving. They're watching them. They see it. They see it all. But in their heart, there is none of that. They're only shocked and they say, wow, well, these people look at all that they're doing. Everything that they're doing is shocking. That person is shooting the other person without knowing why. The other one stabs someone with a knife. We see that, but that's not here because the appetite is no longer there. God is abiding in the heart. The Lord is there. This is why it says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him, meaning the Lord, nor known him, our Lord. They have not known God. As I said to you, you can have spiritual gifts. Some of you, some of you can prophesy and lay on hands and speak in tongues. And maybe you're sinning. Do you think you have God in your heart? God has given you the spiritual gifts so you change to show you God exists and for you to change and repent. But if you do not do that, it means you have not known God. Even if you speak in tongues, even if you say, God loves me, God is with me, he said he was with me. Well, that can happen. But if in your heart there is no purity and God does not dwell and abide in your heart and you sin, it's because you have not known him. So the apostle says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, our Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. So see what it says. John is very harsh here in this teaching. He who sins is of the devil. So you can say, well, I read the Bible every day. I pray. But if you're irresponsible, look at what you're doing. How many people are maybe watching pornography? They are violating and children and hurting their family, hurting little kids, doing so many bad things. They have vices, hidden vices and addictions and drugs, doing things that are unclean. But they say, but I go to church. And so I go to church and I bow down and I pray and I sing and I read the Bible. No, you need to have a pure heart. God needs to abide and dwell in your heart. And if not, you are of the devil. Even if you go to church, you are of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed, the seed of God remains in him. It says, and everyone who is born of God, it says, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So all men and women do not sin because that seed of God remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. They have no appetite to sin. This person has that love for God and they have become children of God. Verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness, meaning this person does not hold back from sinning and does not 
here is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And to love one another is to abandon sin. Because when I commit sin, aside from the fact that I destroy my own spiritual life with God, I distance God from myself, well then I also harm those that are surrounding me. Those who surround me, I harm them greatly with my own sin. With my sin, I harm them, yes. If I have envy of a person, the person doesn't even realize that I'm feeling that way, but God does. So my spiritual growth is left stagnant. But if I go and I lie, I'm a false witness, and I cause that person to be accused of something they didn't do, all because I said they, they did something, there, I'm harming that person. I'm causing them to suffer, and that does not please God. This means I do not love my brother. I do not love the people around me. When you love people around you, you don't harm them. Why? Because I don't want anyone to come and harm me. I don't want anyone to come and pinch me because it hurts. So why would I go and pinch someone else? If I know that they feel what I would feel if that would happen to me. That is loving your brother. That is loving your brother as yourself. And so the suffering, the suffering that I don't want for myself, well, I'm not going to cause it on someone else. Because I want to be children of God. I want to be a son or a daughter. And to be children of God, to be those sons and daughters, we must have God in our heart. And of course, logically, God enters the heart when we have a pure heart. When we have a pure heart. And here, John is mentioning the sins of many people who did not love their brother, like Cain. He says, not as Cain. He killed his brother. He harmed him. And it says, if you hate your brother, then you're a murderer. Because to hate is not just your brother, but just your neighbor, all human beings. If a man hates his wife and they're unfaithful and they say, oh, well, I'm out of love and they go find someone else and causes her to suffer, that's not loving your brother or your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you say, well, why would I make this woman suffer? If she did that to me, I would suffer. If she were to be unfaithful to me, I would suffer greatly and I wouldn't forgive her. And so I won't do that because I love her and I want her to be happy. And so it's that, that's love. Loving our equals like we love ourselves. Not to be selfish or envious and greedy and everything for me and nothing for anyone else. But that is not being sons or daughters of God. And the duties of the children of God is to do the will of our Lord. And in verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, it says. And so, 21, beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, God, because we keep his commandments. And here's the conclusion, to keep the commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight, God's sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. 
Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, meaning God. And remember, keeping the commandments is to not commit sin. And I've been mentioning all all of the sins, the ones that are seen and those that are not seen. When someone abstains from committing all of those things, it means they are keeping the commandments of God. 24, again, it says, and this is to conclude, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, meaning God, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Because of course the spirit must dwell in our heart and in this way we can say that God dwells in me. He abides in me because I have a pure heart. So God has given me the title of son of God or daughter of God. Glory to the Lord. And so to you, I invite you. I invite you to read the Bible and to ask God. And if if in your heart there is rebellion because the devil has sown in your heart stubbornness and rebellion and hate, and you feel like you are hating or holding a grudge against someone, say to God, say, Lord, Lord, I I have hatred for this person. I have a grudge. I'm angry. I'm angry with this person and I have the desire to harm them. Lord, you are a powerful God. And I know by the Bible that you've made us You made the universe. You are the one that governs and rules. I pray that you have mercy of me and take away that hatred, that grudge, and that tendency for I feel evil in me to harm others. Take that away from me. Deliver me. Free me. For all of this is what the devil wants with me. This is the prayer we must express to the Lord. Those who don't know how to pray, those who know how to pray, well, you have many words to use and employ so that the Lord has mercy and he helps us to change. This is what we must do. Ask the Lord to help us to change and that we may be clean and pure of heart in order to be there with the Lord so that the Lord may be in our hearts and this past week we spoke of the holy mountain the holy mountain is jesus christ he the head and the church the believers his body and all of the believers they have their heart where god is dwelling and so they are the mountain of god and lord who will be in your holy hill or holy mountain or rather lord where will you be in whose heart will you be in are you in my in my heart lord i want you to be there lord and so this This is what we're going to ask the Lord to help us to achieve these beautiful blessings and to be children of God, sons and daughters of God. And so now you know the duties of the children of God to be light in the world, to be testimony and a good example to many to shine. The children of God must shine, must be splendorous, must shine in the world and give a good example and bear a good testimony to preach and to act and God will then use them to work many miracles and signs the honor and the glory be for our God let us now pray to the Lord O Heavenly Father thank you eternal God in the glorious name of Jesus Christ your beloved son I give you thanks Lord for this opportunity to once again be here and to reflect upon this sermon and to reflect upon these this phrase of children of God and these words that have been left written in the Bible and that you 
bring them to life in our heart, in our being. And we rejoice, Lord, every time we read and every time we hear these promises, when we read them, the promises that you have made to all those who obey and who keep your commandments, we are filled with joy. We are filled with gladness and rejoicement. Our hearts are happy and we desire to jump to jump and scream out loud that you are a powerful, mighty God, that you are the Lord, that you are worthy of all praise, of all honor and glory, that all must humble themselves before you, that all must honor you and all must recognize you as the almighty God that exists and that you live in spirit and truth. Thank you, my Father, for your mercy and love. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to read your word. Thank you for allowing us to enjoy and to analyze your holy word, Lord. Thank you, my Father, for your Holy Spirit will come to abide with us, will be in us. This is your promise. This is what we believe in and what we hope from you. Thank you, my Lord. Holy Father, now there are petitions. There are many petitions. There is there are many needs that people have. And Lord, people in the messages that I receive of just problems and difficulties and sickness and a lot of violence and irresponsibility, disorder, disorganization and unfaithfulness. Lord, I pray that you extend your hand that you help each man, each woman that are suffering. Help every child, every child that's suffering, every elderly person that is suffering. Help them, Lord. Each of them has a problem or a difficulty, and each of them will be expressing before you their need. Each of them implore for your favor. Lord, extend your hand and bless them, deliver them, take away and rebuke those spirits, the witchcraft and sorcery, and the curses that have been done by the enemy to people and causes them to suffer. Holy Father, may you may you so respect heart, may you, may you so respect in each heart so that they respect your word and honor you and praise you so that each person may respect each other and value each other and are able to change and to recognize and ask you to help them to change. Holy Father, also observe the needs and the sicknesses, sicknesses that are incurable. And Lord, this sickness of the coronavirus that is affecting many, may you extend your hand and take away this plague, destroy this sickness, Remove all of this tribulation, my Lord. In the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, we pray. Thank you, Lord. All praises be to you. All honor and glory to you. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, my Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, glory to your name forevermore. Amen. Thanks to the Lord. We will be singing chorus 74, The Heart That Has Jesus as Their King. The heart that has Jesus as their king cannot feel sorrow. The heart that has Jesus as their king cannot feel sad. The heart that has Jesus as their king cannot feel sorrow. The heart that has Jesus as their king cannot feel sad. Sing to the Lord, come before him with gladness. The heart that is Jesus as their king cannot feel sad. Sing to the Lord, come before him with gladness. The heart that is Jesus. 
Jesus says their king cannot feel sad. The heart that is Jesus says their king cannot feel sorrow. The heart that is Jesus says their king cannot feel sad. The heart that is Jesus says their king cannot feel sorrow. The heart that is Jesus says their king cannot feel sad. Sing to the Lord, come before him with gladness. The heart that is Jesus says their king cannot feel sad. Sing to the Lord, come before him with gladness. The heart that is Jesus says their king cannot feel sad. Glory to the Lord. And may this be so that no heart that has Jesus feels sad or feels sorrow, but that God may be in your heart. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And thank you very much. May my God bless you all. And I send you many hugs and kisses to you all. Thank you. And may God bless you. Thank you.